Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast with lead pastor Don Headley. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that he gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. Hey, I am excited because we're kicking off a brand new series today. I want to welcome each and every one of you into this. Hopefully uh, after today, you'll be back for the next four weeks as we walk through this new series entitled Faith That Works. And uh, we're going to be walking through the book of James over the next five weeks. So with that said, let me just encourage you, go ahead and grab the Word of God. Head over to James chapter 1 with us this morning. If you have the MVF Colorado app already loaded, go ahead and open up your device. Go to the app. And uh, the app has changed as of this last week, so you need to know that. If you look at the bottom, look for the little button that says Sundays. If you click on that, you'll have the Bible, you'll have the Scripture right there in front of you, as well as message notes. And that's all just tools to help you go deeper into the messages uh, today and hopefully to draw more out than, uh, you know, than what we're going over. Maybe the Holy Spirit will just speak to you and you'll be able to take notes. And you can actually email those uh, message notes to yourself so that you can keep them uh, for your records as well. So I pray and hope that you're just using those tools just to go deeper and to foster that relationship with God. Uh, as I said, we're walking through the book of James over the next few weeks, and it is uh, five chapters, so we're going to cover that over the next five weeks. We're going to do a chapter each week, and if you do the math, that will lead us right up to Easter. And uh, one of the reasons why I love this book is because it's so practical. Uh, it, it's it just tells you straight out what it's trying to say. It doesn't, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not hidden. It's just straightforward. It's very practical. And even in the way that the book starts, I mean, it just starts off by telling us who wrote it and who it's for. Uh, take a look at this. James 1, verse 1. It says, This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers, scattered abroad. Greetings. So in this very first verse... We're already told who the author is. It's James. And uh, you might think that it's James, you know, the, the apostle, the one that walked with Jesus for three years during his ministry, right up to when he was crucified. You know, James, the brother of John. But that's not who wrote this book. This is a different James. And this is one of the reasons why I love this book. Because it's actually the half-brother of Jesus. This is the dude who grew up with Jesus, knew him when he was a child, all the way through his adolescent years, and hung out with him all the way to the point to, until Jesus took off to start his own ministry and left home. But what you find out is James wasn't a believer. Like, he didn't really believe what Jesus was saying. He, he thought Jesus was a crock. And, and the reason I can say that is because Mark chapter 3 actually gives us an, an in-depth story about James and his other siblings coming, and they try to forcibly grab Jesus and take him home. They want to take him home because they're worried about him. I mean, he's saying things like he's the son of God. And, and uh, so they're worried about not only the, for his sanity, but also for his safety because there's people wanting to kill him because of all the statements that he's making. Now, James didn't believe in Jesus prior to his death. And it wasn't until Jesus went to the cross, was crucified, was buried, rose again. And once he rose again, he appeared to James that actually, in that moment, James believed and was converted. He was converted. He started to believe that Jesus was who he says he was. 
Now, I think this is one of the most powerful and convincing testimonies of Jesus being the Messiah and of his resurrection. How can I say that? Well, think to yourself. I mean, what would it take for you to believe that your own brother was the Messiah or the Son of God, right? It would take everything. And James finally got to that place. James believed that Jesus was the Son of God. And actually, he would give his life for that testimony. See, in 62 AD, he's teaching in the temple in Jerusalem, and he's making these these declarations that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And the Pharisees became so furious over this that they grabbed him, they took him, and they threw him over the wall in Jerusalem. But that didn't kill him. And so they threw rocks down on top of him, and that didn't kill him. And it wasn't until a guy came around the corner with a club and finally did him in that James became a martyr for the faith. Now, we know that James was martyred in 62 AD, and so therefore this book that he wrote was prior to 62 AD, so it becomes one of the early New Testament books, but it's filled with ancient wisdom. And he's writing, it says here, to Jewish believers scattered abroad. All these people who were coming to the realization that Jesus was the Messiah, and they were starting to follow this thing called the New Way, Christianity, and they were, they were trusting in Jesus. And he begins to write to all these believers that are scattered because of all the persecution against the church. They're scattered all over the Roman Empire. Now, this is one of the reasons why I love this book as well. Because so often when you read the letters in the New Testament, it's written from one person to a church, a particular church. And so often when you read it, you feel like you're eavesdropping on somebody's conversation. But the book of James is different because it's not written to a particular church. It's written to the church, the big C. It's written to every one of us. And so as we read this over the next few weeks, you don't have to like feel like you're eavesdropping because this was written directly to you. And so what we're going to do is we're going to learn a lot of wisdom uh, from this old man who knew Jesus very well. He spent a lot of time with him. And this is one of the reasons why we've decided that we're going to spend five weeks. We're going to dedicate five weeks to really going through this book. And so here's my challenge to each and every one of you. Uh, Leading up to Easter, five weeks away, I want to encourage you to read through the chapter of, of James. I'm sorry, read through the book of James every week. Now, that might sound daunting, but let me break it down for you. Here's the challenge. I want to encourage you. You have five uh, work days during the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And so I want you to break it down this way. I want you to read chapter one on Monday, chapter two on Tuesday, chapter three, you get the point, right? And so do that every week for the next several weeks as we lead up to to Easter. And I believe that by the time you get to the end, by the time we get to Easter, you're going to realize that you have learned so much from this chapter. And I think quickly it will become one of your favorite books in all the Bible. Now, I have the honor today of teaching on the first chapter, and, and this first chapter is full of just wise teachings of one-liners, and it's designed to sum up the main idea of the entire book. It introduces us to keywords, to themes that you're going to see over and over again over the next four chapters. And so James actually starts with an incredible statement, something that is counterintuitive, and, and he spells it out in, in verses two through four. This is what it says. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. It's 
counterintuitive, right? I mean, that doesn't make any sense. Can consider it an opportunity for joy when you go through trials. I mean, that doesn't really line up with the way that we think. But James is saying, look, when troubles come your way, you have this great opportunity that you're missing out on. It's an opportunity for joy. And keep in mind that he knows what trials look like, right? Because he's getting ready to give his life here pretty soon after writing this. He's saying life is tough, life is hard, but he's preaching that life's trials and hardships can be gifts because they produce an endurance within us. God uses it to shape our character. And we learned this in the last series that we just came out of, that that series we called Change, because we said in the midst of transition, especially difficult transition, we're more teachable in those moments than any other time in our lives, and God can sometimes do his greatest work in the middle of our trials and our suffering. Let me ask you a question. What's something that gets stronger the more pressure that you put on it? If you can't think of anything right off the top of your head, let me give you a couple things. Maybe um, coal, right? When you pressurize coal, what does it turn into? Ladies, what does it turn into? There you go. Yeah, it turns into diamonds. Uh, What about like an entrepreneur, right? Pressure's on. Uh, Entrepreneurs turn into successful business people. Uh, There are just some things that just get better under pressure. And that's what James is saying, that you should consider it a great joy when you get to endure various trials, because under that pressure, God has a chance to mold you and shape you into somebody who's stronger, more mature, who is a more effective believer because of the, because of the pressure, because of the trial. And it says that it helps us to become what he calls perfect and complete. This word perfect to James is an important word because he's going to repeat it seven times in this book, but that word perfect actually means something a little different than what we think of it as in in English. We think of, you know, flawless. But this word in the Greek and the Hebrew actually means wholeness. It it means living a a completely integrated life where your actions and your, your words are consistent with the beliefs and values that God has taught you. So what it means is living a life that is in line with God's will. Now, that's important for us to know because not many of us are whole, are we? Like, we live fractured lives. We live lives where we devote ourselves to Jesus, but so often there's areas of our lives that we haven't turned over to him. God, I'll trust you with this part of my life, but this over here I'm going to hold back. Or this area over here that I hide in the darkness and I don't want anyone to know about, that's not dedicated to you, but I'm going to pretend like everything else is. And so we live these fractured lives. And, and Jesus came to restore fractured people. He came to make us whole, where our entire lives align with what God desires for us. When trials come your way, we're said that we're supposed to um, approach them as an opportunity for joy. Let me ask you this. Can you learn how to endure a trial? Can you learn, some of your translations say perseverance or persevere. Can you learn to persevere? Can you teach somebody how to do that? If you were asking James that question, he would say, absolutely yes. That's why I'm writing this book. Because I want you to know how you can endure and experience the joy that God has for you. And so through this first chapter, we're going to see that James is going to spell out what I'm going to call five pathways to endurance. Five things that I think are so important. If we're going to endure the trials in in life, that we're going to be perfected in Christ, that we're going to experience the joy that he has for us. Five skills that I believe that if we uh, learn these things, we're going to become people who will endure these trials. We're going to allow Jesus to do his work in us. And we're going to experience the joy that comes from that. So it it continues in verse 5. It says, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. 
But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Uh, James is actually drawing on this idea of living a fractured life. He says, you know what, when your loyalty is divided between God and the things of this world, you're unstable in everything that you do. How do we, how do we take this first step to endure these troubles? Not to be uh, living a fractured life, but to be made perfect and be made How do we do that? Well, James gives us our first clue. He says that we need to ask for wisdom. So this is the first pathway to endurance. We need to ask for wisdom. Now, it's not not an accident, I think, that the book of James actually reads kind of like a book in Proverbs. The reason for that is because James was a Jewish man. He would have gone to the temple. He would have heard the scrolls read, and many of those scrolls were were Proverbs. And, And who wrote the majority of the Proverbs? Anyone? Solomon. Yeah, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, right? I love his story because if you go to 1 Kings chapter 3, you'll see where King Solomon is being inaugurated. He's not king yet. He's being made king, and he's in his early 20s, and God is going to give him whatever he asks for. And and if you were in his shoes, what would you ask for? You're in your early 20s. What, a big palace, maybe more land, a strong army so that you could rule, or, or maybe crops and livestock? I mean, what would you ask for? You know what Solomon asked for out of all those things? He asked for wisdom. He says, look, I'm in my early 20s. I need wisdom to be able to lead this nation, so give me wisdom. And I think James is tapping into that story. He says, if you need wisdom, just ask God, and he will grant that to you. And in fact, the story of Solomon doesn't just end with him receiving wisdom. Because of the wisdom, you know what else he gets? He gets the palace, and he gets the nation, and he gets the land, and he gets the livestock, and he gets, the, he gets everything because of the wisdom. Now, I wonder how your story would be different today if you would stop and ask God to give you his wisdom. How would that change your life? See, God will give wisdom to people who ask for it in faith without doubting his character. We have to understand that that wisdom comes from God and God alone, and it gives us the ability to be able to, to see hardships as an opportunity for joy and not to dread them but to walk into them looking for what God is going to do. Verse 9 continues, it says, Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls, and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. Now, so often we misread this, and we think something like this. God loves the poor, and he hates the rich. That's not what this passage is saying at all. James is actually just saying, look, poverty can actually be a blessing. Wherever you're at in that spectrum, uh, the idea is the focus should be on Jesus and not the things of this world. Whether you're rich or whether you're poor, Um, it doesn't matter as long as your focus is on God. And he says, sometimes poverty can be a blessing because you're having to lean into God even more. And it's one of the problems that we have in the Western world is we're, we're well off. We've got everything we need. And so often we tune God out. But the problem with that is all the things that we, we take pride in, all the things that we put our trust in, those things turn into idols and they'll burn when it's all said and done. What we need, what James is saying, is number two, um, pathway to endurance, would be perspective. we got to be able to view the things in our life with the right perspective. And James might be pulling from Proverbs chapter 30 here. 
In Proverbs chapter 30, uh, there's this story about the authors asking God for two favors. He said, just allow me never to lie. And then secondly, he says, I don't want you to give me poverty or riches. I want you to give me just what I need to live on. Why? Because if, if you give me riches, uh, I might forget who you are and go, who is this God? If you give me poverty, I might go out and steal and insult your name. So just put me in a place where I constantly have to lean into you because that's the best place to be. It kind of echoes what God was actually saying in Deuteronomy chapter 8. God rescued his people from Egypt. He leads them out and he says to them, look, here's the deal. I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt and there's coming a day when you're actually going to have everything that you want. You're going to have homes. You're going to have land. You're going to have cattle. You're going to have livestock and and crops. And and he says, in that day, here's what's going to happen. You're going to forget who I am. Don't forget that I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt. Why is this all important? Well, I think for us, it's, it's the fact that our lives are but a mist, what Ecclesiastes tells us, right? And that someday Jesus is coming back. And all the things that we put our hope in, all the things that we trust in, all the things that we take pride in, if they're things of this world, of the things in, in you know, just stuff, it's all going to burn. It's not going to last. It's not going to make a bit of difference. We need to be people of perspective. We need to understand where all this stuff comes from. And a person of perspective is a person who can actually um, go through this life with their eyes on eternity. They say things like, look, if I'm going to go through a tough trial, it's okay. Because I know God will sustain me. I know he's got this, not just for today, but for all of eternity. If you're a person of perspective and God has blessed you and given you gifts, maybe it's a a great job or maybe a family uh, that that loves one another, then you get to say, look, I understand that all of this is a gift from God, but I I don't put my pride in all of that because I have perspective and I look toward eternity. We need wisdom and we need perspective. The third thing comes in verse 12. It says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. God doesn't need to tempt us. We do just fine in that area by ourselves, don't we? Like James says, the temptation derives from our desires. Some of your translations say lust. And, and we find ourselves chasing other things instead of God. And so the third pathway to endurance is faithfulness. We need to be faithful to God in all these things. And James actually gives us a formula to remember. When we were teaching youth years ago, we used to give them an acronym. We used the acronym LSD. Probably not the greatest acronym to give teenagers. I get that, all right? And if you're thinking, wait a minute, LSD means Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, right? No, it doesn't. That just means you're as old as I am, all right? LSD, when we would uh, give this to our teenagers, it was the idea that they would remember that lust equals sin equals death. James tells us this because he's warning us not to even go down that path because it leads to death. Stop it early. 
Don't allow the desires and the lust of your heart to rule your life because if you do, it will lead you to sin, which will lead you to death. And I think he learned this from Jesus because in, Jesus was teaching about adultery in Matthew chapter 5, and he took it a step further. He says, you know the commandment that says do not commit adultery. But then he goes on to say, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust in his heart has already committed adultery with her. So it's this idea that Man, uh, take it a step further. Jesus is saying, look, lust equals sin equals uh, death. And James is building on that. He says, don't chase the desires of your heart. Be faithful to God and God alone. Faithfulness means that we, we choose God's will. We choose him. We choose his plan over our own. We need wisdom and we need perspective and we need faithfulness. And continuing in verse 16, it says, So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word, and we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. Maybe some of you, that's what you needed to hear today, that you're God's prized possession. See, in order to endure these trials and to experience the joy that God has for us, we have to allow them to teach us um, God's character, the same character that Jesus taught. Um, It's incredible when you take a look at the trials that we go through, how often we kick back against them, and we're not even looking for God in those moments. But if we look at what God is doing in that suffering, in that trial, we'll actually learn that he is a good God, that we can trust him, that he is generous, that he meets us in our pain and in our suffering, that he'll never leave us. And and what happens in that moment? In that moment, if we're really dwelling on God's character, we can't help ourselves but to cultivate a heart of gratitude. And so the fourth pathway, I think, to endurance is gratitude. We need to develop a heart of gratitude. God is good, and James says that he gives us good and perfect gifts. And because he loves us so much, he sent his son, and his son died for us. And not only does he give us good and perfect gifts, but he chose to give us new life, a new life. We don't have to live the old life anymore. We get new life in Christ. See, I think one of the marks of a spiritually mature believer is a heart of gratitude. Some of us, we think that our job or our position It's something that we did. Like, we earned that. That's mine or my house or my home. And we have to get to a place where we understand, no, it's because God is good that we have those things. And when you can recognize that everything that you have is ultimately a gift from your Heavenly Father, then that will posture you in a way so that when things don't go well, that you'll remember back to when things were going well, this Heavenly Father that blessed you in those moments is going to walk with you in times of trial and he'll protect you in those moments and you'll be able to endure those trials. And when we're going through a tough time, so often we focus on the wrong things, don't we? We, f- we focus on what's wrong. We don't focus on the blessings or the gifts that God has placed in our lives. We focus on, on what's, what's happening around us. We focus on what we've lost. One of the ways to get ba- back in balance in your life is by leaning into gratitude. It's all through gratitude. And when we embrace this truth that we serve a good God and that he is gracious, he is a God of generosity, then we're able to face the trials and suffering that's ahead of us. And we're able to do that in total trust that God is going to handle everything, that he's got it. It's the same thing that Jesus did. Do you remember his prayer before he went to the cross? God, I'm getting ready to go to the cross. I know what's ahead of me. I know the suffering that's involved. But I trust you. Not my will, but your will be done. 
And Jesus went to the cross and he died for our sins. He rose again so we could have eternal life. And he offers that to us. We have new life in him. How should we respond to that type of generosity? How do you respond to that? So I think there's only one correct response. It's to share it with the world around you. To share that with the people in your life. To be generous with God's generosity. Verse 19 and 20 says, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Oh, I was laughing about this last year because I taught on this passage, and my oldest granddaughter, uh, Evangeline, she was learning this. She started talking about it. She got it, and uh, they started asking her, okay, what, what does it mean to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger? And she was going to demonstrate it, and she went like this. This is slow to anger. She went like this. That's what she was doing. And uh, this is actually a picture in the middle of that fit. And... Uh, My point in this is this. If a three-year-old can get it, surely we can get it, right? Slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to listen. Why are these things so important? Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires for us. He has a better plan. Continuing, it says, So get rid of all filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. For it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worth, worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. He's given us some very practical steps here of living out this life with Christ. He says, look, don't just be hearers of the word. Be doers of it. Do it. And then he goes on to say uh, several ways that you can do it. He says, look, if you obey the commandments that God's given you, he's going to bless you for that. Um, watch what you say. He gives us all these instructions. What's he saying in this moment? He's saying uh, another pathway to endurance is ownership. You have to take ownership of this. If you fail, if you sin, if you make a mistake, take ownership of it. If you are not growing your own faith, you need to take ownership of that. Uh, You can tell a mature person, somebody who actually gets stronger under pressure, because when things go wrong, they don't point their finger at other people. You know what they do? They own it. When we fail and we sin, we have to own it. Ownership for our mistakes and our own sin is a prerequisite for endurance. It's the only way that we can learn and move forward in this moment. Otherwise, we just keep going back to the same place. He says, don't just listen to the word. Do it. He's talking about action. Own it. Otherwise, if you don't do that, if you hear it and you don't do anything about it, you're just fooling yourself. And then he gives you several things that you can do. He says, devote yourself to God and to his will. Um, Watch what you say. Watch your tongue. Speak with love. He says, uh, you know what you do? You serve the poor, especially the widows and orphans, those who can't take care of themselves. He gives us a lot of instruction for how to do this. He's saying, own it. Take action in everything that you've learned. Now, in this first chapter, James has actually given us five pathways to endurance. And so to wrap up this morning, here's what I want to ask. In the trial that you're going through right now, and I don't know what it is for you, It could be severe. 
Maybe you're just entering into one, or maybe you're coming out of one. Maybe it's with your family, or maybe with your job, or with your school, or just life in general. You're struggling in life. Let me ask you this. What pathway do you need to spend a little bit more time on this morning? Maybe it's wisdom. Maybe you need to stop this morning. You just need to ask God for his wisdom. Maybe it's perspective. Maybe you need to ask God to show you perspective, to be able to see the things in your life as as a gift from him, and not just this life, but for eternity. Maybe it's faithfulness. Maybe today the biggest step that you could take is just to to make a commitment that you're going to obey in the small things. You're going to be obedient in those things. Maybe it's gratitude. You have to learn how how to cultivate a heart of gratitude when it comes to the gifts that God's given you. Or maybe today for you, You need to spend a little more time on the pathway of ownership, of confessing sin, taking responsibility for the mistakes that you made, or maybe it's the other side of that. Maybe you haven't grown like you should, and it's time that you take ownership of that and go, no, it's up to me, and I'm making a commitment today that I'm going to start maturing in my faith. What is it for you? Take that step this morning. Now, um, I want to encourage you to make sure that you come back every week during the series for the next four weeks because we're going to dive into this, this book. And what you're going to find is through practical instruction, James is going to show us how we can live this life out in Christ, how we can endure any trial, how we can be perfected in Christ and experience the joy that he has for us. That's my prayer for us. Can I pray for that right now? Would you join me in that? Heavenly Father, we come to you right now just as um, your people. And God, I ask that in this moment that you would meet us right where we're at. There's people in this room, I know, Lord, that are going through major, major struggles, uh, suffering, trials. God, they're not even sure if they can endure it. God, I'm asking that you would just meet them right where they're at. Would you help them understand that you have a plan for them, that you desire for them to draw close to you, and God, um, that you want to show them true joy, who you are, and this life of just walking with you in faith. Heavenly Father, we give these things to you. We ask that you continue to use these to mold and shape us into the people that you've called us to be. We pray all this brings glory and honor to the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said.